Another edition of the Bowlers Extra podcast uh, coming your way the day after Christmas. Uh, Purdue played on Christmas Day, but I didn't record one after the game. I had to go open presents. Just kidding. I, I don't get any presents. Don't deserve any. I've probably been naughty through 2020 and every other year of my life. So presents are not part of what happens for me on Christmas Day. Don't feel sad. It's okay. Life moves on and you just, you deal with it. But I'm okay. Don't worry about it. Purdue did win 73-70 after holding a 15-point lead in the first half and comfortably playing with the lead through most of the second half. A couple things stood out from my perspective is that uh, when Maryland did start coming back, and they did, um, Purdue had answers. Purdue had a lot of answers. Um, Brandon Newman was an answer. Jaden Ivey was an answer. Travion Williams was an answer. Um, and, And when you go back to the Miami game, they didn't have many answers. And that was Eric Hunter's first game back after the knee injury. So unrealistically expecting him to step into that role immediately, even though he has an experience, probably was too much to ask. But bottom line is they didn't have those answers then, in part because a lot of young guys are still playing. Um, And although players like Williams and Hunter and Stefanovich – uh, Wheeler all played last year. Uh, it's still a different dynamic. It's a, it's still a new team. But I think what we've seen here over the last, um, you know, the Maryland game and you go back to the Ohio State game, um, you know, they, they provided some answers. Now, they didn't have the answers at Iowa, uh, and that can be for a variety of reasons. Number one, Iowa's pretty good. And Iowa... I hate to admit it because this has been their 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 black hole for years. Is they they actually did defend Purdue pretty well. Now could have Purdue done some different things offensively in that game to to maybe get things rolling. To me, the one difference between Iowa and Maryland, the games, not the opponents, but the games. Was I, I, I thought against I, Iowa, and I, you know, I said this after the game, that I just didn't feel like anybody was stepping up offensively to, to put the team on their shoulders. Uh, like we've seen some players do throughout the course of the year. Um, and Iowa had a little bit to do with that. And, you know, the execution wasn't great offensively. Um, and, you know, I said then that, one of Purdue's greatest strengths is its balance, but I think that also translates to being one of your weaknesses when collectively as a group, you're not doing it, therefore you need someone to step up and do it. And I just didn't think anybody really stepped up that night to to try to carry the load. And again, Iowa played a role in that. Now, Friday, I thought players did step up and tried and tried to get out of that um, collective group and just say, okay, going to take over right here. Or just, you know, these are shots that you know, certain players can hit. You know, Jade Nivey goes, you know, scores seven straight points by himself, a couple threes in there. 
And then Brandon Newman late in the game, you know, puts it together for a stretch. And then Travion Williams comes up with some plays. Now that that seems like collectively they did it, but they also did it individually. And you need no no matter what system you run or anything like that, you need guys to make plays individually, whether that's in the system or out of the system. And that that will be the difference for this team, in my opinion, is they they have enough talent. They have a lot of pieces. But when do those pieces emerge? And when do you know and at what time do they emerge in the game? And you're gonna have games like Iowa where they really don't emerge because the other team is playing a role in that. And then you're gonna have games like Friday where Jay Navy gets free and then Brandon Newman gets free and Eric Hunter gets free and other guys get free. So um as I you know, as I think everyone has said and I'll continue to harp on you know, this is not a what I would view a, a championship team in the Big Ten right now. Uh, and the long game is what this season is all about. And as you as you get through this year and then you look ahead, you see what's coming in, what's coming back. You know, I think you're looking a couple, couple two or three years down the road for this program uh, to really – uh, put itself in a in a position to be that championship team in the Big Ten, but also be that team in the NCAA tournament, assuming that we can get back to a normal <laughs> NCAA tournament and uh, normal schedule of games and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, Friday, you know, Purdue, you know, got out of the gate pretty good. You know, Maryland used a small lineup, and so did Purdue because it had foul trouble. You know, Travion Williams had – two fouls in the first three minutes. Zach Eady was struggling with some foul issues. Purdue went with a smaller lineup in part because Maryland was playing a smaller lineup. And it seemed, you know, it worked for Purdue in this, in this one game. I, I don't know if it's going to work every game. I think Painter will probably use it a, a few more times. You, ideally you want Williams or Eady on the floor uh, for, for extended minute, minutes, but you know, Travion only plays three minutes in the first half. He plays 13 in the second half. Um, you know, Zach, you know, still is is learning. Um, you know, he's getting pushed around quite a bit. Uh, he's getting knocked off his spot quite a bit. But, you know, there's growth there. There's there's learning there. And, you know, eventually he'll, he'll be fine. But, you know, Purdue had to play um, – Purdue had to play small for extended minutes. You know, that's with, you know, Mason Gillis and Aaron Wheeler inside. And then you can mix up the guards however you want to mix them up. You know, you had Ivy, you had Stefanovic, you had Newman, you had Hunter. Uh, you just had, you know, you had Isaiah Thompson. You just had a, you had a bunch of, you know, you can rotate a bunch of different guards in there. And Purdue held its own. And they, the one thing they did when they played small, you know, in part because Maryland played small, uh, they continued to out-rebound Maryland. And that's been, I, you know, I think that's been a big key for Purdue all season is their rebounding. Um, you know, they out-rebounded Maryland by 10 uh, in this game. And speaking of Maryland, what in Terrapin creation is their 7-2 guy stepping out and shooting three-pointers? Uh, I believe his name is uh, Choi Morrell. Anyway, 7-2. He hadn't taken a three-pointer all season, and that would have been the first 
seven games, and he fires up three. Nobody's guarding him. And if there's a reason you're open, there's a reason why you're open. It's not because they're scared of you. So this guy's jacking threes. And that that could be part of why Maryland went so small in the second half is because their 7-2 guy obviously didn't look at the scouting report. Uh, and <laughs> he's out there jacking up threes. Purdue says, thank you very much. Guy ends up 0 for 4 on the day, 0 for 3 for 3. He did hit 3 or 4 free throws, and he had 3 points. But overall, Maryland played a smaller lineup in part because it was their best lineup. And the other part is because this guy's out there just slinging threes up uh, left and right. Uh, anyway, I'd like to know that conversation after the game. And then today, uh, what uh, Mark Turgeon said to him about what his role should be on Maryland's team. And I'm now I'm really eager to watch Maryland's next game to see if this guy is going to start jacking up threes again. But anyway, Purdue smaller lineup was effective. It, you know, it had its, had its moment moments. And even, you know, painter said after the game, he made a mistake. And I know the painter bashers, you know, it's not his first won't be his last. Um, but he tried to steal a basket kind of midway through the second half by putting Edie in the game. He wanted to get him in, then get him out. But the pace of play did not allow that. And uh, he was stuck on the floor for an extended period of time. And in in a matter of minutes, I mean, just boom, boom, boom. Maryland scored like seven straight points. And all of a sudden, it's a two-point game. And he couldn't get Edie out of the game. And that that hurt Purdue a little bit. But they, they, they kept answering. Newman answered. You know, other guys answered. They kept answering. Or they kept Maryland to one shot. Um so I, you know, I think you're see, you're seeing you're seeing some growth out of this team, and you know we always bring it up with Matt. You know when they have a double digit lead, the other team comes back either to tie it or get within one possession. You know is that a you know sign of growth with your team and where you're going? And you know it happened against Notre Dame. Notre Dame came all the way back from 16 down and um and tied the game, and then boom, Purdue went right, right back out in front, extended the lead, and held on the rest of the way. Maryland comes all the way back from 15 down. You know, they they kept getting it within one or two or one possession. And then, uh, boom, Purdue would answer. Purdue would go up back up by two or three. Maryland come down, hit a three. Purdue would come down and answer. They kept doing that. Um, And Purdue got lucky. Purdue got lucky in this game because Maryland was woeful from the free throw line, like really, really bad from the free throw line like 10 of 21 bad from the free throw line, like two of 10 bad in the first half from the free throw line. You know, they they got better in the second half, but they had a chance to tie the game uh, with uh, 19.5 seconds to go. And uh, yeah, Daryl Morsell misses two free throws. He ends up one of six for the day. One of six at the line. Uh, and, you know, Travion got the rebound. He was fouled, hit the first free throw, missed the second at 73-70 at this point. Maryland comes down. Um, they jack up a shot, didn't get it, so on and so forth. Hunter gets fouled with like 1.8 seconds left, and he misses two free throws. So Maryland had a desperation shot at the end. So in the last 19.5 seconds, the teams combined to miss four of five free throws. That's not how you close out games. 
that's not how they draw it up in uh, basketball one-on-one. You don't close out games by missing that many uh, free throws. You know, Purdue missed three free throws in those last, you know, 20 seconds. And, you know, before that, they were 11 of 14 from the line. So they were, they were having a pretty good day uh, at the line. But then, but, you know, Maryland ne- needed a desperation shot. One thing we didn't ask Painter, and, you know, that's that's my fault for not doing it. And I know he's talked about it before, but he's up three with 18.5 seconds to go. You know, how much did he consider fouling in that situation or did he not want to foul? He, in the past, I believe I'm correct in this, he doesn't, I don't believe there's a uniform policy that he follows. Like, if you're up three, you foul no matter what. Um, so that's my fault for not asking that question because that's that's something that, you know, just from a curiosity standpoint, did he consider it or did he hold back and why did he hold back or um, did he not consider it? Um, is it truly a game-by-game situation? Is, is it truly an opponent-by-opponent situation? Uh, or is it just is it based on how the game is being played, being called, so on and so forth? Uh, so I'm always interested in in those kind of uh, uh, strategy situations because I mean you either you're on the side of you foul when you're up three, or you're on the side of you don't foul when you're up three. Um, and it goes both ways. You know, when guy hits you know, guy hits a three pointer with five seconds left. Everybody screaming, you should have fouled. You know, when they miss, like Maryland did, like, well, yeah, it's a good decision. You, you don't need to foul there. Uh, but I know it's something that Purdue practices, and they, they go through. Um, so maybe a follow-up question on Monday as we prepare for Rutgers just to kind of get his thoughts on on that situation. Uh, because, you know, it's going to happen again. I think Purdue's destined <laughs> to play a lot more close games this year. Um, maybe not this coming week, but maybe, you know, this year they are going to play the, their share of close games because coming up this week is Rutgers on Tuesday at Illinois on Saturday, both games on the road. Uh, both, both, uh, both games are monster, uh, tough and you know, tough teams for Purdue to play on the road. Now you don't have the crowd factor, but it's still, still a challenging environment to go in there. And Rutgers is really good. Rutgers is really physical. Uh, I think we saw that last year when they played Purdue and just saw the growth of their their team and their program last year. Uh, they and you know Purdue's going to have to be really really good on the boards in both games to have a shot, and that's that's an advantage where you know Purdue should be able to uh, at least hold its own uh, in that situation. And Purdue's done a good job of keeping teams off the offensive glass and limiting uh, second chance points. Now Maryland had twelve. Uh, on on Friday, but you know, if you go back to the Notre Dame game, if you go back, you know, in, in, to some other games, you know, Purdue has really limited. I think you go to the Ohio State game, you know, Purdue has really limited um, second chance opportunities uh, here recently, and that's going to be big, really big on, I think, for both games. You know, if Rutgers and Illinois both come out and shoot sixty five percent, it won't matter, but um, it, you know, it's it's finishing the defensive possession is when you're getting those rebounds. Your defensive possession is not over until you you get that rebound, and you limit or 
negate those second chance opportunities that, you know, Rutgers and Illinois are going to come get. But, you know, Purdue has held its own there with, with Travion Williams and Mason Gillis doing a good job on the boards. Aaron Wheeler uh, doing a ver- really good job. Zach Eady doing, doing, a, doing a good job on the boards. Uh, they're going to have to keep that up. They're probably going to have to raise their level of play uh, up a notch uh, in these next two games uh, to maintain that. One other thing that, you know, from, from Friday's game is that, you know, Zach Eady has been called for a lot of fouls this year, and some of them – are fouls. The others are just because he's seven four. But the the one thing that kind of struck me from Friday is he drew seven fouls on his own. So he he got a little bit rewarded um, for for playing the right way. But he also you know he had you know guys fouled him seven times or at least officials called seven fouls uh, when he was uh, um, you know when when the Maryland. Uh, fouled him. They, they probably fouled him other times, but they didn't call it. But I thought that was interesting. He drew seven fouls, which was um, four more than any other player on Purdue's team and two more than any other player on Maryland's team. So I just thought I'd I'd bring that up. But, a good, you know, good win for Purdue. They need to take care of business at home uh, because of who they're playing on the road. Um, you know, you mentioned Rutgers and Illinois. They'll get Nebraska at home after that, and then they got to go to Michigan State and Indiana. Um, you know, if you can, it, you know, again, if you can take care of your home games, um, and Nebraska would be the next home game, which is a game Purdue probably should win. But if you can take care of your home games and just somehow tread water on the road, um. You know, at the end of the year, you find yourself in a pretty good uh, position. Um, but it usually doesn't work out that way because you'll drop one at home and then go win one on the road or uh, you can't win on the road type of thing. Um, but this is a tough week. You know, I, I would consider coming up for, for Purdue this week. If somehow they could split these two games, I think that's a successful week for them, for this team, where they're at right now where they're at in their development process, where they're at, uh, who's doing what. You know, I think a split uh, would be probably the best case scenario for them. I think it's too much to ask them to go win two. Now, that's their goal, and that's what they're going to do, and that's how they're going to prepare. But for those of us that look from the outside in, I think somehow getting a split this week, I think would you would chalk this up to a pretty successful week. Obviously, if you can get the first one, then you're hungry to get the second one. If you don't get the first one, then you're desperate to get the second one. Um, but and I, I don't know which one would be a better matchup for Purdue. I think they're both tough. They're both, they, you know, they both have you know Illinois and Rutgers both do things that Purdue doesn't do well. Um, they get out and pressure you. They get out and get in your shorts. Um, Purdue has not handled that situation very well this year. Both teams have excellent guards that are excellent defenders, and they both they both have big men that are physical um, and are, will cause problems inside. Even though Purdue does have two big guys, um, you know I, I don't consider Travion a a physical type player. He's more a finesse player. Um, and, and Zach 
hasn't gotten to the point yet where he's he's a physical machine down there. Uh, he's not finesse, but he's not a physical machine yet. And Purdue must uh, must hold its own on the rebounding in, in both of these games uh, to have a shot. I mean, they need to they need to bring an attitude with them uh, to both games and every game, but these two in particular. Both these games are going to require a high level of toughness, a high level of physicality, um, and it's going to be a good test to see where Purdue is at in that situation. You know, I think Mason Gillis kind of fits that bill. He'll get after it. Aaron Wheeler has done a better job rebounding. Uh, I wouldn't throw him into the physicality category yet, but he seems to have adopted uh, adapted to what his role should be, which is rebounding, defending, and occasionally uh, contributing to the offense. I mean, he had he didn't take a shot um, on Friday. Had three rebounds. Um, you know, he occasionally he's gotten the block shot that maybe has made a difference in a game earlier, but they need everyone coming up to rebound in these two games because I, I just think that's going to be uh, the key. The other things, you know, one other thing struck me about um, Friday is that uh, Stefanovic just took one shot, three pointer that he hit. He was one for one, but he's, I mean, he was a guy that he had five rebounds and you get five rebounds out of him and, each of the next two games, you you know, Purdue's really going to help itself as they go up against uh, uh, Rutgers and Illinois. Well, we hope you all had a Merry Christmas and looking forward to the new year as everybody should be looking forward to the new year because I think everybody wants to get 2020 over. But I just don't think the change of the calendar is going to change a lot of things uh, in our country right now especially from the virus perspective. That's, you know, we're probably still a long way off from getting back to what we were doing before this. Um, but anyway, the basketball season will continue uh, as of right now. Um, I'm curious to see the ratings from Purdue's game, the television ratings from Purdue's game on Christmas Day and what that looked like. And it's going to be a one-year deal. They're not going to do this again unless we're still stuck in the pandemic you know, next year at this time. But it was a one-year situation where the Big Ten wanted teams to stay on campus. They didn't want them going home, bringing the virus back, and disrupting uh, the season. You know, not intentionally disrupting the season. Now, season might get disrupted on its own, but they didn't want teams to to splinter off and then come back, getting family gatherings, Somehow bring the virus back. We saw what happened with football, and you know saw what happened when I think Indiana and Purdue kind of let their their players escape uh, the protocols for a couple hours. I think some of them went home, or some of them got involved in some gatherings, and boom, you had an outbreak in both facilities, which led to the cancellation of the bucket game. And yeah, I'm really curious from a women's basketball standpoint. Because they are taking a break, they they would they're involved in their break right now. Purdue last played the twenty third, as all Big Ten teams or most Big Ten teams did, and the schedule doesn't kick up again until New Year's Eve. Purdue doesn't play till January third, but 
the women's coaches were adamant about having a break at this time, not staying on campus, allowing their kids to go home or be with, uh, be with friends and family somewhere. Now, in Purdue's case, Sharon Versip, um, they have five international kids, so all five international kids stayed on campus during this week. But when everyone gets back, which I believe will be Monday or Sunday, it'll be Sunday, the 27th, all players and coaches and everyone involved that works with the program on a daily basis, everyone will have to uh, produce three consecutive negative uh, COVID tests before practice can resume. Um, and if they do that, they can start practicing again, which I think in Purdue's case will be the 29th. They don't play till January 3rd, week from Sunday. So I'd give them plenty of time. Other teams are going to have to do the same thing. And there are, so far, there's been more than a handful of women's basketball games postponed in the Big Ten, Big Ten games postponed due to COVID-19. There's two teams that haven't even played a Big Ten game yet, Ohio State and Michigan. Um, but I'm, I'm really curious as we get to the other side of the holiday break, will there be more uh, postponements? Will Will women's basketball programs have to be put on pause uh, to allow whatever virus situation has, has, has come up to run its course? I, I don't know if you saw the Duke women's basketball program they, they've canceled their season uh, they did that on uh, Christmas Day uh, because of uh, COVID-19 concerns uh, so I, in, there's not been many details uh, released about exactly the numbers that are involved in that but the fact that a, a major uh, college basketball program men or women in this case it was the women have, have decided to shut down the season and the next question is how many will follow suit, if any follow suit. Um, but, you know, I think if the Big Ten, if the Big Ten women can get through this holiday break and not come back with having to postpone games or put your team on pause, you know, I think then the Big Ten's probably in a good spot to finish the season. But if they come back and you see programs are put on pause, or postponement starting to happen, then I think it's going to be really difficult to get through the rest of the season, and you might see something similar to happen at Duke. I, you know, I think that's a drastic situation. And the other part of doing the break, of having the break, and I, I do believe in this, that these players, at least on the, the women's side, they, they've been going at this for a long time. They've been tested daily for a long time. They've had the cloud of the covid situation around them all the time you're wearing masks you're social distancing you're you go to your apartment you're all alone I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of things going on in their world uh and they they probably needed to get home and be around family now yeah you can hop on the phone and FaceTime or Zoom or however you want to do it and connect with your family and friends much better than you could 10 15 years ago but there's also the human interaction part that you that I think players need or people need in general. So, you know, I, I see the benefit of having a break and allowing players to go home, but I think you're rolling the dice a little bit. And, you know, let's be clear about this. The men were told to stay on campus because it's financially benefits the Big Ted and the schools if 
if they don't miss any games. Yeah, they're trying to get games on TV. That's Let's be clear about that. This is a financial deal. You're trying to get your basketball season played in its entirety. You're trying to get as many games on TV as you can. So at the end of the year, your schools are getting paid as close to their media rights agreements as, as possible. That's not going to happen because you missed so many games in football. And you've missed some non-conference games in basketball, but you haven't missed any conference games yet. And those are obviously more more lucrative. Um, so, in, you know, the women's game, they don't have as many on TV. So you're not, you know, if you have to postpone several, then you're really not losing out that much money. You're losing some, but not, not as much as you would with the men. But that was the reason, you know, that was the main reason why the Big Ten wanted teams to stay. And I think the players were eager to stay because they do want to play a season. They, do, they don't want to have interruptions. They want to, they want to practice. They want to prepare. They want to play. Then do it all over again. Practice, prepare, and then play. Um, but there is a financial component to all this. Uh, don't kid yourself. Um, and, it, it, and, it, 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 and it ties into furloughs at Purdue or other places, layoffs at, at Purdue and other places, salary cuts at Purdue and other places, uh, which in turn affect the economy uh, at, in all these towns. So is, it's not a, just a complete 100% money grab, although it does seem like it, but it does branch off into other areas where, you know, uh, Purdue has uh, X number of employees in the athletic department. You want them all to be getting their full salary. You want them working 40 hours or whatever they're working a week. Therefore, they go out and help the economy and they spend and they do what they normally have done. So the quicker we get back to doing that, the better off our economy will be, so on and so forth. I'm not here to to talk all about that stuff, but there's, you know, I just want to bring up that there was, you know, there's a money component component to playing all this, not necessarily playing on Christmas day because that those wheels were in motion just because the, the players were going to be on campus and to give them, what would you rather do practice or play? They'd rather play. And then TV was interested. So they jumped on it and it happened at a time when the NBA was unclear when it was going to start. So there was, there was a time period earlier this year where, the Big Ten could have had Christmas Day to itself from a basketball standpoint if the Big Ten or if the NBA hadn't decided to start um, a couple days before Christmas and then play their normal uh, Christmas schedule. So there was there was a period of time where hey, the Big Ten is going to be the only um, the only sporting event uh, on Christmas Day, other than you know they played an NFL game and they had a bowl game on on Friday, but. The majority of it might have been the Big Ten. I'd be curious if the Big Ten would have added a couple more more games to try to take uh, full advantage of that. All right, well, we rambled on there. Sorry about that. But that's just what happens when you tune into this thing. I have absolutely no idea what I'm going to say and how long I'm going to say it for. Anyway, Purdue back in action Tuesday uh, at Rutgers. Um, you know, Hopefully next week we'll start recapping what happened in football and look ahead to football. Obviously, they're on the hunt for a, a defensive coordinator, and a cornerbacks coach. Uh, we'll see how this all shakes out. Um, you know, there's a lot of maneuvering you can do uh, in this situation. Um, you know, Purdue needs a linebackers coach as well because that's what Bob Diaco uh, coached. So you're looking at two positions or two 
two coaching positions for uh, for for what's going to be needed. This is you know this is a big hire. They all are, but this is probably this one's going to be under the microscope a little bit more because this will be the third defensive coordinator in three years. And you had the aggressive Nick Holt, then you had the passive Bob Diaco. You know what? What does Jeff Brown want out of his defense? You know, I, you know it's a it's a simple question, but I'm not sure he would answer it. Um, I think he wants somebody to take care of the defense. He wants a defensive coordinator there, so he doesn't have to worry about the defense doing what he wants to be done. But you know, here's the one thing that always struck me especially this year. You know, Jeff got questions about the defense virtually every week. Now, they did start off okay, but then as the games went on, they got progressively worse and worse. But anyway, Jeff's up up there answering questions about the defense or on Zoom answering questions about the defense. But Bob Diaco's never made available to talk about the defense. So if I'm the head coach, I'm like, I'm tired of answering these questions, so you go answer them. Now, if you've seen videos of Bob Diaco's press conferences, maybe that's why he doesn't do that anymore. Uh, but anyway, yeah, it's going to just be curious what 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 Jeff Brown wants out of this wants out of his defensive staff, uh, and he's got to get it right. He does have to get it right. We're reaching a point in his tenure that um, you know the results the, re- the results on the field always matter, but now they become more magnified. Especially after you, you know, you start out two and zero, you lose your last four, you're starting to lose close games now. Um, so this is an important hire for him. But as much attention that is on the defense, I think the offense needs to pick it up as well. I'm gonna, not everything is fine on that side of the ball. It's not perfect on that side of the ball, and you know there there's some things that need to be done to improve the offense as well. Um, so this doesn't really all, the responsibility doesn't solely lie, um, on the defensive side. There's some, there's some things on the offense that need to get straightened out and needs to get changed, uh, to make it more effective and more productive. To me, the fact that Purdue, and I'll leave you with this note and I've said it before and I'll say it again, the fact that Purdue football had a one and seven record with Rondell Moore, and David Bell on the field at the same time starting the games, or at least when they were on the field at the same time. Now, I am counting the Minnesota game last year because they were both on the field at the same time. Now, Rondo got hurt. He didn't finish the game. So whether it's 1-6 or 1-7, I don't think it really matters. The bottom line is that, that Jeff Brom did not take advantage of two of the most dynamic wide receivers that this program has ever had from a from a winning standpoint. They put up they they have putting up great numbers and they are great receivers and Rondell will do well in the NFL. David Bell is going to do great in the NFL. But from a team standpoint, you do you, you point the finger at the defense in those games or do you examine the offense a little bit more closely to to see why or how they did not take advantage of those two players, probably two of the most dynamic players that the program will see for a long time. 
and your record's one and seven or one and six, however you want to figure it out. But, you know, football, other things go into it. You know, Minnesota game this year, Purdue's a, a bad call, you know, away from winning that game. So things kind of change in that. But you can't put yourself in that position. You can't put yourself in that position. And, yes, the defense was not good that night, but when you know your defense is not going to be good, your offense has to be better. And if that's the strength of your team and your program, which it is because that's where your head coach, you know, that's where your head coach has his, uh, that's where the, you know, that's the background of the head coach. Then, um, you know, you, they, they've got to make it happen. But anyway, you're, they've wasted that window of Rondo Moore and David Bell. It's over. It's done. Now, can you take advantage of having David Bell on the offense and George Karloftis on the defense for one more season? Can you take advantage of that window and get to a bowl game? It's one of the major questions coming up for 2021. Thanks for stopping by. appreciate it. Sticking with me through the rambling. And uh, maybe that'll be my New Year's resolution, not to ramble as much. Questions, concerns, you know how to find me. Have a good day. And uh, we'll be back uh, next week to, to ramble a few more, give you some more words of rambling as uh, Purdue basketball hits an important week uh, from a road standpoint as they close out 2020. All right, have a good day. Thanks for stopping by.